Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by BlackRock Health, providing patients with world-class clinical care and comfort, enabling swifter recoveries. First this morning, the story of a truly inspirational nine-year-old girl who recently won a Pride of Britain award for her courage. When Elizabeth Soff was only six months old, she suffered devastating, life-threatening burns after a fire in her family home in Qatar, where her parents were living at the time. The family subsequently moved to Birmingham and for the past six years have been fighting for justice for the severe injuries Elizabeth suffered, resulting from faulty wiring in an air conditioning unit and her parents' Liam and Sinead Soft join me now. Good morning, Liam and Sinead. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Listen, first of all, tell me a little bit about the two of you. I know you're both Irish. First of all, Sinead, where are you from? I'm from Sandyford in Dublin. And you and I'm from Rohini. Rohini. And when did you leave Ireland? Uh, we left a good while ago in um, 2003. Um, Sinead went, came to the UK to do nursing. Uh, and I'm a civil engineer, so I worked here um, in engineering. And it was in that job, Liam, I think, as a civil in- engineer. That's why you ended up living in Qatar. Is that right? In about 2014. Yeah, that's right. We were building infrastructure for the World Cup in Qatar. Well, so listen, Sinead or Liam, whichever, would you mind for my listeners taking me back to the day in 2014 when the fire did break out in your home there? Just take it through with me. What happened? Sure. Um, well, in the morning, Sinead had just put Elizabeth down for her nap in a cot. She was six months old. And Sinead then went down the stairs and heard Elizabeth crying. Um, this is kind of unusual for Elizabeth. She was a very good baby and never really cried. Um, so Sinead went back upstairs and already 30 seconds later, there was smoke coming out from above the door. And Sinead went in and the room was on fire. The cot was on fire. Elizabeth was on fire. Um, So Sinead grabbed her up out of the cot, ran downstairs with her, um, grabbed our son, William, who was about 18 months and rang rang an ambulance for them. And Sinead, you went to the local hospital, did you, Sinead? What happened then? Yeah, we went to the local hospital um, called Hamad, uh, the, the local state hospital, and um, they worked on her probably for about an hour before they could kind of stabilise her to get her into a, a kind of a, a medically induced coma, I suppose. Um, and she was transferred up to the intensive care unit. And within about 30 minutes of us arriving up on that unit, the doctor spoke to Lee and said, um, you've got to get her out. We can't treat her in this country. And I suppose we were very naive at the time because we just thought you're in, you know, you're in the, the hospital. They can do, you know, mm. you know, I'm a nurse, but I was still very naive to to something outside, I suppose, my specialty. And I just assumed anywhere could treat, you know, anybody who needed help. Um, so we kind of got to work straight away on trying to get her out of the country. And obviously our first um our first port of call was Ireland. That's where we wanted to go because all our families are there and we knew we were going to need a lot of support, a lot of kind of input because we had three other children um, all under the age of six. So it was, um, you know, we knew we were going to need some help. So um, Ireland refused to ex- accept her as a patient. Um, it was Crumlin, I think, is the first place that we went to because of the severities of her injuries. So there was nowhere and, and 
I suppose that for us was one by one we were finding out there was very little places that could treat her in the world. Never mind, just in Qatar. Um, so Crumlin had said, no way. If they had a child, you know, as badly burnt as she was, they'd be sent straight away to another country. So we were very, very lucky. On the fifth day, after lots of disappointment and ups and downs, we managed to get her to London and a bed became available in the Birmingham Children's Hospital where we've lived ever since. And that's, and they have been wonderful there, haven't they, Sinead and Liam? Oh, oh yeah. God, we couldn't. Um, I mean, they they saved her life. You know, I've I've no doubt in my mind she wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for um, if it wasn't for there. Several times they saved her. Like she, had, the initial burn injury, she was very close to death, and then she had a cardiac arrest maybe a month or so later, um, that they saved her from as well. So we've been really lucky. It's a fantastic team there, and you know the people who treated her on that first day, some of them are still looking after her today. You know. She's had almost 80 operations, skin grafts, reconstructions, um, all sorts. So we've been really lucky. And I suppose you both sound, as you tell me about when it happened and you eventually. So how long was it afterwards, Sinead, that you got her back and brought her to Birmingham? And were all those initial days, are they very hazy, your memory? Because it was obviously such a trauma. Um, I think it was it was more in a, a, a panic, probably more than anything. And, mm. and it was so frightening. I suppose you don't realise how much you rely on your local health care until you're stuck somewhere abroad. Um, you know, and, you know, their language, first language is in English. Um, we were very, very lucky on the on the first day that we arrived up in the intensive care unit. Two Irish nurses appeared from nowhere. <laughs> Um, who were they'd heard they'd heard the, and that's very typical isn't it of Irish people yeah. they heard there was an Irish baby that had come in and um, yeah they appeared and they were like well there was three of them actually I think in the, in the end they started to multiply as we do um, and, and they were they were kind of like I suppose leading the communication between us and the, the medics there because they understood the system a little bit more than we did um, and then obviously trying to support us to get Elizabeth out which was a huge, a huge feat at the time. It's just like five days of panic, you know, just mm. one thing after another, one problem that you've got to solve and then straight on to the next one. Um, and, you know, at one point we thought we were never going to get her out. That she needed to be flown out, obviously, and there was problems with oxygen and everything. And she was getting worse, which was less likely that she'd be able to get on a plane. So it was just literally panic and and uh, terror for five days. Um but when we arrived at Birmingham, I suppose there was a bit of relief. We could tell straight away that that was the, the right place for her. And six years on, obviously, she's still, as you say, regularly attending Birmingham. You mentioned she'd had 80 operations. How is she doing? Like I said at the very beginning, she won a Pride of Britain award, but she is an extraordinary little girl, isn't she? She's still only nine. Yeah, she's amazing. She's, yeah. yeah, she's 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 fierce. She's, <laughs> you know, she's everything, I suppose, that we've always worried that she might not be because she's got every reason to kind of sit back and, you know, feel sorry for herself or but she doesn't. She's just um, she's just unbelievable. There's no other words for her. and everyone who meets her. Um, I suppose they initially get a, a bit of a shock when they see her appearance. But you can see people's faces change kind of very quickly who, who want to take the time to get to know her. And um, and you soon forget the exterior because she's just so she's just such a beautiful person, really is lovely. And the the thing I couldn't believe when Cora gave me this brief, my producer, is that 
how people, some people, react to her, Liam. Like, some people are incredibly cruel. Yeah, and, and now that she's nine, she kind of sees it herself, you know, and, and hears the comments that people make. I suppose most people are, you know, nice and normal and everything, but there is um, a really strange small number of people who think it's okay to say, like, nasty things about her um, that she hears, you know. Like, we've heard parents say nasty things to their children about Elizabeth, you know, and children say things to their parents about her that's... Um, and and it's they obviously think it's okay, you know. Um, obviously there's stares and people pointing and things like that, but it's uh, it's the kind of nasty comments that parents make that kind of surprise me, you know. The adults who should know better, you know. Mm. Given the injuries she sustained, um, Sinead, there are everyday tasks, aren't there? Although she's amazing and does virtually everything. The kind of things we might all take for granted, she can find difficult to do, can't she? Yeah, she's got very little fingers. Um, on her left hand, she's got no fingers at all. Um, on her right hand, she's got a, a, like a normal, for want of a word, uh, thumb, and then two very small fingers, and then two very tiny fingers. So um, anything to do with your hands, I suppose she finds it very difficult. But she's so determined, Miriam, like... Yeah. She rode she rode a bike before her um her old brother did and I'm, I'm, you know she she can tie her shoelaces um and you know she ties his for him like <laughs> she's she's so determined and so nothing stops her and that's the um that's the sometimes when people are staring or being cruel you want to shout she's amazing Do you know just mm-hmm. take the time to and it's very clear to see that she's had something you know some awful injury so you know that's, I suppose, the hardest part for us is that we know how fabulous she is. And, uh, you know, so, but the basic day-to-day tasks, she's, I mean, she's unbelievable. <laughs> Every day she surprises with something she can do that we thought she would never do. She's just, yeah, and she's a daredevil as well, which I suppose is, you know, <laughs> kills us every day, but it goes in her favour because nothing stops her. Which is absolutely brilliant. Now, were you able, Liam, to determine the cause of the fire? Oh, yeah, the, the cause of the fire was determined fairly quickly, actually. The the civil defence, their fire brigade did a investigation and it was the air conditioning unit in the bedroom, like a wall-mounted air conditioning unit that had been wired incorrectly, heated up and and started a fire. I mean, it was literally 30 seconds when the whole room was ablaze, you know. Um, so And that was it. That was always the, the cause of the fire from very early on. And then in in court, they appointed a fire expert and that fire expert came to the same conclusion that that's that's what the cause of the fire was. So it's never been in dispute. So you initially, of course, tried to reach a settlement, I think, with the real estate company. But it was after that wasn't forthcoming that you had to initiate legal proceedings in 2017. Was that correct? Yeah, that's right. We kind of tried to deal with it formally, in in part informally, um, in part because... The real estate could have the owner of the property, the real estate agent said that oh to to everyone, oh yeah, we want to help, we'll get her whatever she needs, you know all of these um comments, but then when we actually tried to do that, they then ignored us for like two years, so we had to in the end launch a civil case in the Qatar courts um and that was yeah two thousand seventeen and what was the outcome of that case? Well, at the start, it goes really, really slowly. I mean, the the 
system they have there still um, confuses me. Uh, but they they go through several hearings and then you've got like seven chances to turn up. So every time they reschedule it for another six to eight weeks and then you go on and on and on. And then eventually, after years, they appointed the fire expert and the medical expert and they both wrote their reports. And then the court eventually, it went to the Supreme Court and they awarded, um, they, they agreed that the company were negligent. That was the cause of the fire. Elizabeth had been injured because of it and they um, made a award of, um, it was like three million, the equivalent to three million pounds. But then it continued, but with the real estate agent appealing that decision and appealing again. And then it goes all the way back down to what's called the Rental Dispute Committee, which usually deals with like people not paying their rent and all. And they then overturned that original decision and said that because no future operations were um, scheduled, that they would take out any um, any money for future for future Treatments. treatment or operations or anything. So that was then reduced to one and a half million pounds. And then the real estate agent appealed that. And uh, that's where we are at the moment still. Um, six years later, still going through those appeals. And uh, we're no closer than we were on the first day. I mean, it just seems absolutely mad. I mean, if that happens, say, in the UK or Ireland, There'd be such different outcomes, wouldn't there, in court? Oh, yeah, I don't think it would ever get to court, you know, because mm. it was so none of through all those here. I can't even remember how many hearings there's been and how many appeals. But through all of them, the like facts have never been in dispute. It's all about process. The, the appeal, the initial big appeal was granted because the real estate agent said, well, it shouldn't have been in that court. It should have started off in this other court. And then it went back to that court. So it was like resetting the whole process. Um, so it's it's just a constant, it's like torture, really. Um, you know, mm. it's something that's hanging over us every day. Uh, and it, it just doesn't feel like we'll ever get to the end. They'll just keep on appealing until, you know, it goes away. And like it's almost nine years on and the ruling by the lower court that the firm should pay about one and a half million in compensation. Should that wouldn't even come close to covering Elizabeth's treatment and future needs, would it? No, I mean, she'll need operations her whole life because she's almost completely skin grafted and mm -hmm. skin grafts don't grow at the same rate as like normal skin it doesn't stretch like that. So most of her operations are to release stretch skin grafts and she does that every like six months about. Um, but then even the, like the reconstruction and prosthetics and all sorts of things, you know, she'll need that her whole life. There'll be hopefully new treatments that she can have to reduce her scarring. You know, things mm -hmm. we can't even think about, th things we can't even imagine now, let alone schedule so that we can show the court, you know. Um, so the whole premise of it is is ridiculous. And the, and the, the appeals... Um, that the reasons for the appeals that the real estate agent has given are things like we should because there'd been other electrical problems with the house that we had told them about and they had fixed that we knew that there was problems with the electrics and we should have moved out. And because we stayed, we kind of accepted that risk. And it was, so it was our fault. And then lots of other ridiculous reasons Um or just not turning up, like not yeah, even have not the, the, the grace or the manners just to turn up for a court hearing. 
and then the court awards them like oh you have an extra six weeks now to come again so they've been given kind of rewarded for their behavior we'll give you an extra time now to turn up to the next one and then they don't turn up again so it's just like Liam always describes it as like snakes and ladders and that's exactly what it's like we're up and down up and down you never really kind of get any further which is incredibly stressful because on top of obviously minding your beautiful Elizabeth you have to worry I mean at the moment the ongoing legal battles the many operations for Elizabeth how has it all been funded or has it put you under financial strain? Um, yeah huge financial strain it's um, it's all funded by ourselves um, so yeah mm. we we work really to pay for legal battles and translating documents and medical notes and um, we've had to pay for all the um the, the medical expert the fire expert that's all we all have to we have to pay for that on our part so yeah it's a huge financial strain but I think the biggest strain probably is the you know the mental the mental strain above anything that this is what we do every night you know we we put the kids to bed and then we sit down for hours trying to figure out legal systems just something that we just you just don't need like it's just you feel like you can't move on with your life you know you never get to the end of it and you're just kind of stuck in this never-ending cycle and can't move forward you know and then we have hope and we think oh in six weeks it might be sorted and we put our life on hold then for that six weeks only to be disappointed again so it's you know it's like mm. a, yeah it's really frustrating and have you like have you approached the department of foreign affairs have you sought assistance from our government with the authorities in qatar We've exhausted them, Miriam, beyond like beyond belief. It's um I think the the most recent um email that we had back was, um it's come to our view that the Department of Foreign Affairs is limited in terms of what further progress we can make. We do not feel that you have basis for having a meeting with the Tonsh at this time, and that email that I received <clears throat> was literally months after I had a, a Teams meeting with Simon Coveney, who had promised me faithfully that he would meet with me again in a month's time. He would schedule a meeting. Um, and I chased it up. I left them kind of an extra six weeks. I chased it up and that was the response I got. So it's like, it's so frustrating from our part because obviously we re- read about other cases in Ireland mm. and you know about the support that has been given, what we feel has been given to other cases. Um, you know, like the Ibrahim Halaba case, where, you know, they said they, they, at the highest government level, parliamentarians, engagement at senior officials, diplomatic levels, dialogue and advocacy with EU partners. And it goes on and on the amount of, you know, these are all quoted um, dialects from um, Simon Coveney and, and Leo Radikar. And I just, there was they said sight was never lost and there are obje- objectives. And I just think, well, it's been lost though on our child. And why is our child going to slip through the, uh, you know, she's an Irish citizen. We and we've we've had years of engagement with the Department of Foreign Affairs and with Simon Coveney and the minister before him, Charlie Flanagan. Um, but all years forced of, by us, all never, yeah. never forthcoming with it's all been forced, and that's yeah. another another you know battle we go through of the the legal side, and then there's the Department of Foreign Affairs. So that's what we do most nights is try and think of different ways that we can target people. To help us. And any time, we've met with Simon Coveney three times now, and the solution proposed is always to write a letter to the Qataris and to, um, you know, mention it at the next meeting between the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs and the Qatar Department of Foreign Affairs. And that's been the only solution that they've proposed for six years. Um, and it's the same every time. 
and they've never come up with anything further, you know, to mm. to push the Qataris on. It's always been the same. Well, well, we'll write another letter or we'll mention it again. You know, it's incredibly frustrating that, that we don't seem to be able to get past that. And actually, and met, sorry, go on. Yeah. When we've met with Simon, that's what he said. And he said, and we'll have it, you know, we'll have another meeting and, and I'll tell you how it got on and everything. And then we get emails from the, the department officials saying there isn't any more we can do. The minister is busy or, you know, the, lately the, the minister has changed and we've he didn't changed, get a chance yeah. to meet you before, you know, he moved on. And then we, we don't think we can help you anymore. And actually, Cora, um, our series producer here, she did contact the Department of Foreign Affairs three times this week, but just to get their view. But we we didn't hear back at all from them. I mean, are you worried? Well, that's the same as yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost glad you didn't hear back from them because I begin to think it was just us because that that's what we've had over the last. Well, it's, it's not just since the legal. It's, yeah, probably, since the very start. Since yeah. the very beginning, we've been at this with them. So what is, the, just to clarify before we close, as matters stand, both yourselves, I think, and the property company, they've appealed, is this right, the most recent ruling. When is that likely to be heard? Well, the, it, uh, it's complicated by lots of different things, but the next hearing is in March, um, the 12th of March, uh, and that's likely for more documents to be submitted and then they'll have some time to review those documents and then there'll be another hearing. So it's 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 just another hearing where um, the the judge or the court will ask for more documentation. It's not like a court case, like I think I imagined it in my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone, when they listen, will probably think that there's, you know, people there on the stand and there's people, you know, and that's, I've really struggled to get my head around that. It's literally from all we can gather is people passing documents across the table to each other and nobody speaks. So there's never an argument or never a discussion. It's literally just a passing of documents. Yeah, they submit some sort of memorandum and then our solicitor submits a response to their memorandum. And then we continue on like that until the court decides to make a decision. And then that's it. I mean, do you lose hope? I mean, you've waited eight, nearly nine years, I suppose, for justice for Elizabeth. Are you fearful, the two of you, you might never see justice for her? Yeah. Yeah, yes, definitely. definitely. Yeah. yeah. We lose hope all the time and then maybe we we get a little bit of it back. Um, you know, but but Elizabeth's going to ask us one day when she gets older, you know, what happened and what we did and we have to be able to explain to her that we did everything, everything possible to uh to help her, you know. Um and that's all we can do. That's it's just to answer that question. That's why we do it. And I know you've three other children, Danny, Amelia and William. How are they and how has the whole ordeal, I suppose, affected all of you and the rest of the family? Um, I suppose we try not to let us affect, mm. um, you know, I suppose no matter what we do, when they become teenagers, they'll tell us we did everything wrong anyway. But um, <laughs> we try not to let us affect uh, the day to day. We kind of wait till the kids go to bed before we, um, I suppose, before we sit and discuss any of these but they must know. I mean, especially as the, the big two, they're teenagers now. Um, it's an awful drain. It's a drain, obviously, in, in so many ways. Um, but we try not to. I mean, mm. Elizabeth, thankfully, at this moment, has got no idea. And she doesn't need to know the the things that go on behind the scenes. We just, you know, like, I don't, yeah, we've just got a massive responsibility. Um, and we've got to see it through. Even the, the fire itself for, for the three other children was a massive impact. You know, they'd mm. lost everything that they've had as well as us, you know. 
um, and they had to move countries and go to new school. And, uh, you know, they were away from it. It was five months after the fire that we were all in the same room together again. So it was a mass it had a massive impact on them. And they had to, you know, they were they were with their grandparents while we were at, in the hospital here with Elizabeth. And then one day they came over, saw Elizabeth in the hospital. The next day we moved into a, a house we'd rented. And the day after that, they went to a new school in a, in a new country, you know. Yeah. So it's had a huge impact on them. And they're really resilient, you know. Um, well, and, they're and lucky they have extraordinary parents in you and Sinead. And just as I leave you, how amazing is Elizabeth? She raised 202,000, I think, didn't she, pounds for Birmingham Children's Hospital. Uh, She ran a mile a day for 26 days and that's why Elizabeth received a Pride of Britain award recently in recognition of her courage. She's an amazing little girl. Listen, I hope you get justice, Liam and Sinead, and maybe some good will come from this interview. Thank you both for taking the time to speak to me this morning. Thanks, Miriam. Thank you. Mind yourselves. Take care. We'll have a break.